It's Al, not Todd today. Welcome to Reads and Weeds. Woo! Woo. Hey, Angie. Hey, Chris. Hey. Hey, it's our um, 11th episode, but the last one we did was the 10th, and I'm going to tell a story about that because it's kind of ridiculous, and (laughs) um, I'll tell the story about that, but yeah, I'm so excited. A couple things since we were last on here. One is... Um, I went out to San Diego and to see Chris, and it was so lovely, and she was a great host, and got to see green grass and old friends, and and here's the deal. Um, we were super excited because I'd worked really hard to set up a live podcast in San Diego, and then um, emailed back and forth and back and forth to make sure they had everything we need and that it would be set up. And she talked her significant other into going with us. And we picked a book from did. San Diego. <laughs> and then we got there and um, the, all the microphones were just kind of in a pile. <clears throat> they were in a pile. And it was fine. We we detangled things and we, we requested some help from the people at kind of a co-working space there. And everybody kind of patiently kind of found what went to what, and we got it working. And then, um, and then we did the show. A the guy that was helping us, um, what was he wearing? He was wearing. Um, he was wearing bear claw feet, feet. bare feet. You know, giant yeah. bear slippers like and a tail, <laughs> and a tail, and a tail. Uh huh. And he's like. Oh, it was so-and-so's birthday. <laughs> We're like, of course, yeah. of course, yeah. They were right by the door, and it was her birthday, so I just grabbed it. Anyway, he was a big help. I bought a phone card. I bought us a card, a memory card, to put in there. We tested it. We did the show. It was a very interesting show. And then I got back to Michigan and um, put it in my computer, and nothing was there. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Uh, so it yeah. was just like four. It was just like four hours of work. Whoops. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So um. That's what happens when a bear yeah. is in the studio? When when what? When a bear's in the studio? I know. There's. It should be a very clear rule about bears in the mm-hmm. studio. I know. Um, microphones. Hey, Todd's here. Hey, Todd. Hi, Todd. Hey, Chris. Todd made it. Todd's here. Hey, Chris, I want to tell you, uh, you kind of already know who Angie is. Um, do you remember when Marty was on the show and he was like, I got to move or get married? And I'm like, you could do either. You know, I'll help you move or I'm an efficient so I can marry you. He was going to marry Angie. <laughs> do you, oh, yes. Do you remember? Nice. And you were like, I'm a realtor yeah. who's been divorced three times. It's easier to buy, buy a house <laughs> than to get divorced or married. Just buy a house. It, it was house. surprisingly easy to buy a house. It was, she bought a house. <laughs> I helped her move into the house. And it's really what? cute. When it goes to shit, you can rent it out and splint the rent, or you can just sell that fucker. Yeah, no, so that's easy. legit advice. I appreciate yes. that. Yes. Thanks. Well, I've honed my, my CV. Yep. And, uh, that's what's on it. Mm-hmm. that's what you should that's what you should say so are you um did y'all finish the puzzle no it's still sitting and it's well no we have worked on it a little it's it's almost done okay okay you'll have to send me a picture of it but they were doing this awesome puzzle and we were working on it when i was there it was great um what else about angie is really fun and uh 
Bye. And um, she has this um, like online vintage clothing called Bone Jackies. You know that my profile picture. That dress. Okay, yeah. That you like model clothes or whatever. Yes. Well, that's I went over to Angie's and she took all those pictures. Those were her the clothes that she was selling. Yeah. So that dress is for sale now. Yeah. So Angie, anything you want to say? This is Angie's first podcast experience. Yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, <laughs> I kind of feel like, um, like I, I in my head, I have this uh, vision of the uh, women on Saturday Night Live when they, they do the <laughs> yes. sweaty balls. Yes, sweaty balls. Yeah, yes, with, with yes. Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's neat. That's neat. That's neat. It, we, it's mm. kind of like that, really except neat. we're stoned and not very focused. <laughs> but really similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But wait, wait. By, by the way, since you brought that up, I just want to say, because we never talk about weed enough on the show. That's true. I'll be smoking Marley Red CBD that I got here in California. Oh, good. I will be yeah. smoking something someone gave me in a bag for giving them the ride around town, and they wrote in big orange marker, Sativa, on it. Oh. <laughs> so that's <laughs> how I'm rolling. I, I have a, uh, yes. I, uh, how about you? Well, um, I had some uh, edibles, before, edibles and smoked. Um, mm-hmm. So I had two pieces of chocolate, which mm-hmm. is super good. Yep. And um, I smoked, I think it's green crack. Sure. So. Sure. I'm pretty so high. you're feeling fine. Green crack sounds good. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> also, uh, I have done another podcast here that focuses exclusively on cannabis called the Jazz Cabbage Cafe. It records right here in the same spot. And so I feel like I've been getting educated. So they promote my show on their show. So I need to promote oh, their show on my show. It's called Jazz Cabbage Cafe. And it's from four to six on Tuesdays on this same CRB station. And it's Rick Thompson and Jamie Lowell, who are cannabis activists who help write the Michigan law. They're constant advocates and educators. And it's a really big year. Like Hash Bash is coming up. The first Hash Bash that has been um, uh, since recreation was voted through. So, I mean, it's going to be a super big deal. It's going to be a super big deal. And I'm going to be in South Carolina at a wedding, which is fine. But still, I've gone for so many years in a row and stood right on the stage next to all the speakers. And it's always just such an interesting couple of days with everybody that's in town. But yeah, first weekend in April, Hash Bash Ann Arbor will be pretty epic this year. Probably. Um, I mean, this is kind of like a dream come true. The entire point of Hash Bash for the last however many years has right. been what is right. happening right now. So it's pretty right. It's pretty huge. And I'm going to talk about cannabis again as we talk about the book because there's a lot of parallels that were – I loved this book. And one of the things that um, – well, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. So um, just FYI uh, – the the music that was playing coming in was Martha and the Vandellas, and it was that song with the number in it. Do you remember what, her mentioning that when people were picking out their numbers? Yeah, yeah that's what the song yeah. was. And so, and then Angie and I, on the way here, 
went to the gas station because we realized we'd never really played the numbers. And the guy. Nice. Yeah. So we played uh, some numbers and then experience. I got a scratch off. And, um, and you know what? Our uh, attendant was not, I would say he was no. zero help. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> if not, making it harder than it needed uh-huh. to be. And very, Pro- probably. very frustrated with us, too. Yeah, I, I was like, hey, how do you do this? And he's just like, don't even try. Just tell me your numbers. <laughs> and we're like asking wow. him a bunch of questions through the glass. And he's going, wow. don't even, just tell me. You're not even going to be able to figure it out. And Angie took the time and marked up her thing and handed it to him. He wouldn't even Denied. She was denied. So he didn't have the bedside manner of a Fannie Mae. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, and just so you know, Angie, just so you know, Chris and I have known each other since about third or fourth grade. Oh. So way back. Cool. Way back. Um, okay. What's your news, Chris, since I left? <laughs> uh, what's my news? Uh, let's see. Um, the sun came out. And um, we've had like incredible warm weather. Mm, cool. And the warmest, the warmest in three months. So that's been amazing. Yay! I actually got like some tan going on. Ooh. And um, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's that's kind of it. Good. Doing some real estate, petting the dog. Yeah, same stressful you know. life you were having when I was there a couple of weeks yep, ago. Pretty much same stressful. Yeah. Yeah, their yep. lifestyle, Angie. Just I need to paint a picture. <laughs> like um slow wake up. We have we have we have refined it. Slow wake up, some coffee, no rush. Mm. Actually, Mm-mm. there's a house being built next door, so you can wake up at 7 because that's when the hammering and singing starts. <laughs> However, like, and I was on kind we of like... We can push through till like, 9. Right. So they, you know, slow wake up, 9, some coffee. Then maybe, maybe a walk on the beach mm. for an hour. Oh. A couple yeah. of real estate phone calls. Mm. Takes me yep. about an hour Check just to put email. on <laughs> <laughs> Then they've got a puppy named Daisy. Mm. She needs a walk sometimes, yep. so they'll do that. It's usually a Game of the Thrones break. The dogs have got to be walked. The dogs have got to be walked. Got to watch Game of Thrones somewhere in there. Game of Thrones. Maybe some chicken wings. Some Netflix. Yeah. Some chicken wings. <laughs> Maybe yeah. another walk oh, on I, the beach. I, get my, uh, I got my first uh, allergy shot. Oh, how do you feel? Um, Actually, I've had some days where I have felt like maybe the best I've ever felt in my life. Wow, that's exciting. And I've, it also makes you like super sensitive for a while. So I've had some kind of rough days where oh. I've just been like, whoa, what's happening to me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's supposed to get better with every shot that I get. So. Oh, that's awesome. You know, um, nothing that can't be cured with weed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing about Chris, she found out, can I tell her your quick medical yeah. miracle? A couple of years ago, she was yeah. just feeling like crap all the time and her and Kyle both. For decades. For decades. Clear. She felt I was, clear. I felt like hell forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, why am I tired? Why do my joints hurt? Why is my Hair Why is my thin. hair falling out? Yeah, Why all can't of this. I grow my hair? Yeah. Why do I constantly have headaches? Why am I getting dizzy and passing out? Yeah. Well, one doctor said it was because I was depressed. And so she sent, Great, didn't you thanks. guys end up s- sending a stool sample somewhere? 
Is that I, right? I had 38 blood draws done. I had I went to an integrative medicine doctor, yeah. and I had 30, he took 38 blood draws and a poop test and a saliva test, and we discovered that I'm allergic to fruit. Fruit. Oh. Fruit. Yeah. And when but I say fruit, I mean... Avocados, not cherries. Just, yeah, avocados, olives. Olives, olive, olive oil. oil wine. Yeah, wine. Fruit. So, like, everything... Th- think this, about a healthy day would be like... Oh, I ate some cherries and I ate some avocados and I drank some wine. Like that sounds healthy. And they were just, it was just like poisoning oh her. Like yep. lemons. Like basically my whole diet all day would kill her. <laughs> it would be terrible. Most people's oh. diet. Yeah. Most people's diet. So since she's been, since yeah. she's changed her diet in the last two years, she's, um, three, three years, three, three years, years, three years. She, yeah. she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and then, and then it was completely gone out of wow. her system. Holy gone. shit. Yeah. That's bananas. So it's pretty yeah. awesome, actually, to talk about it. It's it's but, awesome. But Angie, that's what you get when you eat protein and vegetables for <laughs> every meal. Let yeah. me just be clear. For lunch, I made burgers and uh, Brussels sprouts. That sounds so, great to me. That's, no. that's normal meal for me. No, it is good. It is yeah. good. But I'm just saying, every single meal just every single meal right yeah so like this morning I had bananas (laughs) I had a banana chocolate chip muffin can you have that no because of bananas no bakeries are like hilarious I'm actually the girl that goes into a bakery and hopes to god that they have like a streusel coffee cake oh you can do it oh okay you can do baked goods okay right Right, I got it. I can, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I just cool, can't. Cool. They, they just love their banana bread and their fucking yeah, people yeah. stick fruit and fucking everything. Yeah, stupid. I see you, tiny fruit industry. <laughs> I see you. I see you, big <laughs> tiny fruit. It's big tiny fruit sneaking craisins and things. And hey, man, yeah, I'm yeah, you. yeah. Okay, so we read a book. This is a book club where we like to smoke weed and talk about books. And I really wanted to read. Um, the World According to Fanny Davis, My Mother's Life in the Detroit Numbers, which is the wonderful, sweet, so well-told memoir of Bridget M. Davis' memory of her mother in the Detroit Numbers. And this came on my radar because I heard her on a lot of um, public radio talk shows over the course of the last three or four months. And every time I would listen to it, I would be so excited, so I'm so glad you guys were willing to read this. So what I thought I would do is, uh, Chris, do you want to give just like a basic overview of what the book is about? Um, it's really about Fanny Davis, who is a mother in Detroit. Well, she, she's really from Tennessee, and she gets out of Tennessee and comes to Detroit um, and has kids and figures out that she wants to run numbers um, to, in a way, as a way to make a living. And she does that and she does it very successfully and provides for her family in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, is that, yes. yeah. Yes. And this book is written by her daughter who, one of the things I loved about the book is her daughter adores her mother. Yeah. Adores her mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that part's and so, really cool. Yeah. So yeah, and it's so, a great, it's a great look at how, you know, while, while African Americans were being pushed out by redlining um, for the, in the help for housing, and they couldn't get loans, and even though um, they were supposed to have access and equal rights, they were pushed out and pushed underground. 
And by running numbers, which is totally underground, they were able to have essentially, um, in a way, they, well, they had to have their own economy. And so even though this was quote unquote illegal, um, I think, I think, you know, obviously it was like basically a crime in white America to be black. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, in their minds, um, this was, this was part of their culture. This was part of how people, um, just not only had fun and re- in a relaxed sort of like basic way, let's play a few dollars, but also like some people, this is how they funded, um, things in their community and their yeah. children and bought homes. Yeah. Yeah. So Angie, give us like your overall first impression. Um, well, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Um, I, I kind of knew like the history of some of the stuff that she was talking about before I read the mm-hmm. book. Oh wait, where did you grow up? What was your town? Um, I grew up out by Flint. Okay. I'm yeah. Have, mostly. Um, so, um, yeah, a lot of the history things I kind of already knew a little bit about. So it was really nice to hear it from, you know, somebody's point of view that was actually living through it. Um, and there was a lot of different things that, um, that I thought were, you know, like, um, she was just saying that, um, you know, that was how they made a living and and whatnot. And what I found really interesting was that, um, the mother was doing this illegal, you know, job basically, um, and making more money than her husband who was actually working for General Motors. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, it was, it's funny that, you know, what she was doing was illegal, but it was, it was what was putting them into the, you know, middle-class sector. Um, as opposed to the the husband's actual job at GM, um, and it was just because he was black, and you know, which is really fucked up. But um, yeah, it was just really interesting to see, you know, yeah. from from somebody else's point of view, and not just another person's point of view, but a child's point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna move on to what I loved about it, and let all three of us because. I cried. Did you cry at the end, Chris? Um, I cried a couple times. Yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 And so, and I was trying yeah. to put my finger on it and it was like nostalgia. And I kept thinking like, yeah. why am I so nostalgic? This isn't my, you know, but it was just because her nostalgia was so well done. It's like when you yeah. describe a house, when you just describe a house and you describe the noises in the house and the carpet and the people going up and down the street and the cars and the music playing, it just felt like, oh my gosh, she did such a good job at a sense of place um, at yeah, several at several different turns. She did. I was like, oh, I love that Broad Street house. I loved that house. Yeah, and- so I wanted yes. to like go on a field trip yes. and like check out the different places. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I mean, we're right here. So. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah really and I bet some. Now, of- wait, yeah. wait. Did somebody did they tear the Broad Street house down? Yeah, yeah. it burnt down. So it's yeah. So now it's like just two big it's lots. Yard, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer, but that was one of the things I adored about it. The other thing was how easily she wove Detroit history into her family story mm-hmm. and yeah. and just kind of the matter of fact, we had to do this because of that. And there wasn't right, a lot of right. preachiness about it. It was just her noticing like 
By the way, yeah. the reason why we did the land contract on the house was because that time you couldn't yeah. own a house. You know, it was just like a very matter of fact. Yes. This is why this very worked this way. And also got the impression that she, I was wondering how would I do with trying to write how my little child brain thought about growing up in my own house. And it would be yeah. hard to remove myself from my adult view of it. And But I felt like she did such a wonderful job of, Yeah, I felt her growing up and uh, using yeah. her journals and her memories and, and things like that, using the journals and then telling the story even of her grandparents and how they got their start and, so it was such a good, I have been loving in the last year, stories that tell multi-generational family sagas kind of things. And that's pretty much what it was, because yeah. it goes from her grandfather down to, she has baby nephews now. Um, so at least four generations, I think. Um and I love it. And you could see the world changing and the laws changing and her changing and people being born and dying and the drug war and she just and it and it still felt kind of like super approachable um I was definitely emotionally invested impressed by her mother I was motivated <laughs> I wrote down quotes so yeah that's what I loved about it what about you Angie um yeah I mean all of that um it was just really well written and um you know you really kind of you could see everything um you know you could see old detroit and you could see um the house and you could see what her room looked like and her dresses um i love yes. how it started with her um in the beginning describing her shoes oh my gosh and, um yeah like i i, I loved great. i loved that opening um but i think that probably that opening really stands out as being one of my favorite parts of the entire story. Um, you know, just the way that her, her white teacher was questioning, you know, how many pairs of shoes she has as if that's somehow her business and yeah. any, in any universe, how would that be your business? Right. Um, and then, you know, just her description of, um, and the, the patent leather shoes are even on the, on the cover of the book. Oh my um, gosh, yeah. yes. But you know, she she talks about the shoes and she describes these shoes and then when she goes home she thinks that she's gonna be in trouble and her mom is like, you know, she snatches her up and, and oh, let's yeah. go buy new shoes. Like Yes. <laughs> it's just it so does. Yeah. Yeah. It, Love just, that. it was really it was just like it felt really, really powerful and uh -huh. like just, you know, just in your face to the teacher and it, uh -huh. it was just yeah, it was really yes. I loved it. I loved that. Love it. Love it. Love it. What about you, Chris? Um, I would say that, I mean, I, I, I love all of those things. Um, but I mainly what obviously the book was about her mom. And, and that's when I, that's to me, that's who I love. Like I love her. Like I, yes. I, I think, I feel like I've known women like her and I, I, I she kind of reminds me of a friend that I have that, um, that has just taken all of her, just her history and decided in her life, like she's just going to live. And that was the line that I really liked toward the end or the middle toward the end is where she's like, my, my mother lived. Like if she wanted yeah. a Hermes scarf, she got a Hermes scarf. Yeah. And, you know, she just did things. 
Yeah. And I really like that. I, I, the spirit of her mother. And, um, to me, though, I mean, those people are just magnets and it sounds like she was a magnet Mm -hmm. and people naturally gravitated toward her and she was giving toward them. And she, but she also like held strong boundaries with people around the numbers and Mm -hmm. took herself seriously. Like she just sounded like such a sophisticated, awesome woman that you just, you just dream that this woman is going to be your neighbor or your mom's best friend, you know, like I can't imagine having someone that amazing as my mother. Um, My mother is so like, my mom is, like a tiny little mouse living in a aquarium somewhere compared to Fanny Davis. Like my a mom ma- was not... I'm sorry, a mouse in an aquarium. A mouse in an aquarium. <laughs> that is my mom. She lives okay. in this small container of in the world and she's so afraid of everything. My mother oh, wow. is very afraid of life. Mm. And everything is very controlled and she's very O C D. And yeah, it is literally like walking into an icebox compared to Fanny Davis. So, yeah. so I I can't imagine having somebody so full of life. Yeah. So and I'll tell you also what. honoring you as her daughter, as her daughter being like going, like really taking the t- trouble to put those shoes on her daughter's feet and make her daughter feel good about herself. Hell yeah. You know, just incredible. And the the story even flashing forward, her going to college and her mom having a hard time and still paying for college. Yeah. So I got to ask both of you a question because I think we would all agree that we love her and think she's awesome. So because we're talking about the book, give me, if you can, I'm looking at Angie and then I'll do one and then you do one. Give me a couple of specific examples of what are the actions that she does that show because we're all going she lives she's living right can you think of a couple things where it's like bam that's how you do it I mean she was just to kind of sum it all up um because I wouldn't say that there's any I mean there's a there's probably plenty of specific instances um well I actually when I was skimming through the book earlier um I I kind of stopped on a spot where she um when they were on vacation Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the one woman had said, um, um, there was a woman at the pool, I think it was. And she said to, um, um, to Fannie Mae, she said, um, how'd you get that nice tan or whatever? Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, Fannie, yes. Mae, Fannie Mae was like, uh, I was, I was born with this. Um, but you know, that was, that was one, that was one instance, you know, where she was just kind of living her life. But I think really it was just, um, you know, her, her overall, uh, defiance. Yeah. What I loved is, is she got whatever she wanted. (laughs) She just like, I'm picturing, I'm picturing a woman like right now I'm trying to picture, do I know any women with six or seven kids? Um, Wait, how many kids were there? Five? Five, yeah. So the women that I know, I do know powerful women with five kids who make shit work, but they also pinch pennies, you know? They're penny yes. pinchers. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're not like, 
let's party, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah. let's, um, let's get nice clothes. Let's get super cool furniture. Let's have the, they're there. I do know women who are doing it, but they're doing it kind of by scrapping. And you're very aware. Right. The kids are very aware of like, oh, we can't, we can't do that. We're poor, you know, like, and she was not yeah. like that. She was just like, I want things. I'm going to work for them. And then we're going to buy them. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. But she also grew up, yeah. she also grew up in what, 1950s Tennessee. Yeah. Where, you know, where- most of, most of the people in, in that area in that time didn't have those things. Not and at so, all. You know, um, I think that she, I think that she was just definitely trying to give her kids a much better yeah. life than what she had. Yeah. But you know, she was also. I feel like she was kind of riding that line of of being very modest about mm-hmm. her money, but also <laughs> making sure that she and her family had literally whatever the yeah. fuck they wanted. Yeah. Like, and the yeah. You know. Yeah. The other thing that I loved that kind of I think the nostalgia um, was the busyness of the household because Chris knows Chris grew up kind of coming over to my house and she knows yeah. that she could just walk in and start eating something. And there yep. was probably somebody else that lived, didn't live at our house, like asleep <laughs> on the couch and somebody else just in the backyard playing basketball. No, maybe somebody from the family was there, but our house was just kind of like going like mm-hmm. that. Like there was a band practice happening. There was a game in the backyard. There was <laughs> noise. There was people sitting around the kitchen table. There was, and, and that created the nostalgia for me because I remember how, I grew up thinking like, oh, this is just how it is. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is just how it is. And then realizing, oh, probably not everybody. I'm trying to get you back on Skype so you can see us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to. Okay. We'll do it if you can. (laughs) But so I was nostalgic for that. And plus I was thinking what a luxury, what a wonderful luxury it is. And on the way over here, Angie and I were, oh, hey, we can see you now. Hi. I'm so glad I persevered. Yay. Persevered. Um, One of the other things that made it, um, made me love her was giving everything away. I just bought extra groceries. Oh, mm-hmm. you want to live upstairs? Oh, yeah. you know, just stay in here with me while I work. And it was so motivating for me somehow. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want to make more money so I can give more things away. Because right. I feel like I'm pretty good at giving things away or getting people involved with things or whatever. But yeah, she did it in a big way. And so... Those were the things I loved about her. But when you were talking about how much you loved her, give us some examples from the book that made that true for you. Mm. I liked, um, God, I'm struggling with this question a little bit, but <laughs> I, I, little things like, well, I love the defiance with the teacher. Um, I love that. I mean, I just mainly because I've been around teachers like that and there's more than we would like to care, care to admit in this country. Fightful horrible people who are nasty to children. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, um, you know, I just love that defiance. Um, I love that. Like when she found out she was pregnant with her daughter, um, Bridget, she went out and bought like really nice, like French provincial or whatever it was furniture. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I totally get that. And it's, it's a splurge. It's such a splurge, but it's like, 
so great for a little girl to have like her furniture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love, I, I love that she, um, basically from her daughter's point of view and pretty much from everybody around, she didn't, there were all these things encroaching on her trying to run her business. Fanny Davis is basically secretly running numbers out of her home for 30 something years. And, and, and as, as her daughter reveals, you know, throughout the book, everybody knows that she's this hub in the middle of the community and everybody knows that people live there and that she's doing things, but like only two or three people know that she runs numbers. Well, if you remember right. at the end of the book when she was interviewing more of her friends, her childhood yeah. friends, um, a couple of them had made mention that, you know, we kind of figured it out. You know, we had right. heard the tapes running and we could we kind of put two and two together. Right. But we knew not to not to talk yeah. about it. And it's like, yeah. wait a minute. Like, yeah. My nine year old will run his mouth like the second you say something. <laughs> he's telling everybody. Right. Are you right. are you serious? Yeah. Well, they. I think they were all. Uh, uh, there was this, just a family respect, like a protective boundary right. around right. it. But what I loved was she got screwed over so many different ways, and she was never. There's never a like sense of her bitching about yeah. things she just kind of like well if that's gonna happen I'll do it this way right and if I can't do it that way I'll do it this I way I would have quit the first time I would have been like you know what I don't <laughs> have the fucking energy for this shit anymore but like I can't buy a house like this so I'll buy it like that I can't make a living like this so I'll make it like that yeah I can't get money here so I'll get money there right yeah and it just seemed I mean, like I, I just think she had an incredible ability to um to, she she's like a person that seemed to have like a high risk tolerance. Like it, it wasn't just that she figured out how to buy a house. It's that she bought a house and for three years she knew that people left and right were getting screwed in the same kind of deal. And she, she hung in there. She kept the faith the whole time. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, that, that kind of thing as a parent, like you've got your kids, you've got your house and you're spending your money and you're making these sacrifices, you know, and taking all these risks. I mean, to live at that level, um, you know, really takes some serious personality um, and and just a faith in herself, I think. I know. She Everything just, she does seems so scary. Yes. Everything. So scary. And she just, she just does it. I mean, even... I, I thought it was interesting that it, it was implied, at least the way I read it, that she had been maybe having an affair. Oh yeah. For a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I I found that interesting, and I I found the way that it like from from the daughter's point of view, like one day, you know, she was just her mom said she was getting remarried. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> remember know? she, so there's two things that the daughter says a couple of different ways. One is her mother. Um, there was two or three things about her mother that the daughter just defines. Uh, one was kind of the secretiveness of the business. Two was she did not like delivering bad news to her own detriment, like when it came, right? So she did not like delivering bad news. And plus she was like, wanted to maintain her dignity and pride and like the the 
core, you know, the family, um, almost yeah. to a fault. So when it came to, um, being sick, when it came to, uh, you know, being with Bert, when it came to the, the numbers game changing, she just, she didn't bring it up. I think she was going just, she, I think her, the only way she could do things was to go through hard things on her own, like solo. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, um, not funny, like funny, ha ha. Um, but interesting that she was such a risk taker, um, with her, um, employment essentially. Uh Um, and then her house and then also with her marriage. Um, because you know, yeah, she didn't just meet that guy and decide to get married like within a week. Right. Like, like there, I mean, there's actual, you know, photographic evidence that shows that they were yeah. kind of kicking it before that and it's just interesting that she you know that's just another thing that she kind of took a risk with mm-hmm. in her life mm-hmm. was you know essentially most likely possibly having an affair while she was married mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah what I love though also is that there also wasn't anger t- and there wasn't too much anger mm-hmm. and animosity there either. You know, there was this very respectful, no. you know, there was the yeah. daughter saying, the daughter hearing from her mother's friends, like, your mama took care of John T. He was fine his whole right. life. She took care of him. And can you imagine? Like, there was no, n- think of anybody that you know, if their husband didn't work and yeah. you were trying to take care of five kids. You'd yeah. think there'd be some anger or somebody getting kicked out or something, but she was just like, uh, well, he's injured or whatever. He can't do it. And here we go. Let's do it. You yeah. know? And that was it. And yeah. that was it. And so there was no sense of like blame or somebody yeah. wishing somebody was different, but somewhere in there, she was probably thinking, I just want a man to love me and <laughs> step up, right. you know, and step up. Right. And, yeah. um, but she also wanted to keep the dignity of the situation and uh yeah I love that about her too I love that about her yeah, too. yeah I thought that was so yeah. graceful yeah man so let's talk a little bit about um there's a couple things I want to talk about numbers Detroit history and um kind of family relationships I guess so one is I think I know the answer for Angie, but I don't for Chris. But did you grow up with any kind of numbers or lottery or oh. being as part of your life? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, what yeah, if, yeah. Tell That's, me about that. Well, my um, my grandma um, is a real big gambler, uh-huh. um, loves to go to the casinos. Mm-hmm. Um, her and my, when my grandpa was alive, they would... You know, they'd plan trips around what casinos were in the area. Oh, wow. Um, big slot machine player. Um, and then she's, you know, daily lotto. Anytime we go to the bar for dinner, which is usually our place to go. Um, sure. Burgers and beers. Right. Um, she plays Keno. Um, but she wins all the time, too. And I oh. think it's it's interesting that you're, you're asking about this because um, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between my grandma and Fannie Mae. Oh, um, because my grandma, wow. my grandma wins all the time. And when she wins, she's very generous and she has, there's, um, she's got four kids and then four, six, 
yes, yeah, six or seven grandkids and then a bunch of great grandkids. Oh, and wow. she, you know, she wins and then she'll send us all a check and, you know, she invests money so that, you know, there's, oh, there's something it. there when she's gone. But, um, and, and I, I'm convinced that that's why she's so lucky too, because she's the most generous person that I've ever known in my life. And, wow. you know, if anybody needs anything, they can call my grandma and she, she comes through. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. How about you, Todd? Did you grow up? Did you grow up with um, lotto stuff or running numbers or anything like that? Um, for, uh, there's family members that would get lottery tickets from. Mm-hmm. Um, I get something from my folks once a year mm-hmm. from the ancient owner of Hiberians down the street from here. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, they do a lotto. It's a year. You pay. You pay this amount, and then every year or every month they pull uh, somebody's numbers. Okay. You, can, you know, you can win money, $500, $50, whatever. And it all gets cashed out once a year? No. And, you know, I get it. Um, I get that. You know, I've won a couple of times. Oh. Over the past, you know, five or six years. Oh, wow. Uh, lottery tickets I get from family for Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, my grandmother goes to the casino constantly. Wow. You know, oh, wow. And I, 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 me, I can't go. I yeah. No, no. I can't I've, do casinos. I've gone, I've had two or three experiences. Well, eh, a few more, but they were usually like, it's just too much blinking. There's a lot, and there's a lot of activity yeah. and I yeah. can't handle so it. So actually, um, when, 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 <laughs> I Marty and I, when Marty and I first started dating, um, mm-hmm. I was down here for the weekend mm-hmm. and we decided, just randomly, I said, hey, let's go to the casino. And he's like, I've never been. And I'm like, well, this will be great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking like, we're definitely going to both lose our $20. Mm-hmm. And he won like $360 really? on a nickel machine or a penny what? machine. And he, wow. so, yeah. So we sit down and within like a couple of, you know, minutes, I mean, yeah. it was only a $20 bill that we had stuck into the machine. And within minutes, it was like, he's like, what is it doing? I'm like, it's telling you that you won something. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and so wow. yeah so he won like 360 dollars on his first ever and now he won't That's go back awesome. you know sure he's like, like i don't know i don't so, want to risk it yeah i don't want to get used to it yeah well i am remembering that chris and i actually the last time we saw each other before two weeks ago was in vegas remember yeah. we spent all day wandering in that one building that was Casino after casino after shop after restaurant. We were just inside. We couldn't figure out how to get out and everything. But I don't think we gambled at all. Right? We just walked through places. Mm -hmm. But I I never knew somebody who had... I'm trying to remember. Over the years, I've known people who had poker games run in their house. I have known that. Um, hmm. I haven't known anybody who like ran numbers out of their house. Have you, Chris? No, no, never. Mm-mm. But didn't you no. have an ex that liked to gamble? Maybe. Am I thinking <laughs> yeah, that I have right? An ex-husband who liked to gamble. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Is that he, all he you want to say? He was good. <laughs> he was oh, he was good. good. Oh, okay, okay, cool. He was good at it, and he was lucky, and he he played poker, and um. Yeah, he would. He won frequently. Huh. Yeah. Well, so yeah. let me ask you this: throughout the book, um, 
there's a lot of explanation of how the numbers are run, counted, paid out, the bankers. So tell me, if you can, would you say your understanding of it is still at 0%? Yeah. Is it at 55%? (laughs) It's so funny. Just don't ask me to do the math because I, I was like, yeah, I, I, and I actually started just as a, I taught elementary to middle school math, so I was like, I know I can figure it out. I just sit down and write all my numbers out, but I, I never brought myself to do it. Yeah. I don't understand how lottery yeah. works like at all, like any of it. Like I don't understand lotto numbers, nothing. Well, I figure one basic concept is millions of people are buying a little ticket, and whoever hits that number gets all that money that people put in. That's what I do know. And I figure there's some machine somewhere generating that random number, and if it doesn't come up, then what's happening over there? You all right? Should we call someone for you? Somebody breaking in? Okay. Um, So what... I don't understand is like the three digits and then she takes the numbers down in a notebook and yep. then at the end of the week the horses race and then there's a calculation and then mm-hmm. there's runners that go out and say, okay, now you have to pay up or we pay you. Is that right? Is uh, that yeah, how- I think so. Okay, I really was hoping one of you guys was going to understand it better. Where are the horses? Where's horses? (laughs) There's horses in the book. I remember. I remember that horses. I don't understand. Do you not remember the horses? I do remember the horses. Okay, the horses weren't running numbers, right? No, no. (laughs) No, her brother. Yeah, was a. It was a trainer. trainer. Right. And so the first set of numbers that she used as her winning numbers had something to do with the with who won the horse race. Oh yeah. okay. That's, That's where okay. she Yeah. Okay. And so that was her first um that's how she because there has to be a number that wins yeah. and people have to call in and say I want three, two, one. But there was numbers seven, coming eight, from like Chicago too. What were those numbers? Like just those some were, uh, Chicago people numbers. <laughs> like <laughs> some weird lotto um, mafia boss. Just, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I really was like, wait a minute. So if you're the bank, you have some money to start because if it's a five hundred to one, that means if you pay fifty cents, is that fifty cents times five hundred? Is that what it yes. is? Yeah. Okay. So that person would win $250. So that means you'd have to take enough um, 50 cent bets to be able to pay out mm-hmm. that money, right? And some people will do 25. I didn't understand the block, right. the block of numbers. Did you, you, you understand? Box, box is what boxed? I said. Box. I <laughs> what does that mean? That's that. okay. So I do totally. know, I, I Wait, do understand, I understand the box um, okay. because of lotto with my grandma but like if a number if you have a three digit number and it's boxed so you pick one two and three but you pick box and that means whatever scenario combination yeah whatever Mm -hmm. combo for those for one two and three comes Uh. up you win so if it comes up three one two if you chose box on a one two three then you would win (gasps) i get it yeah so so i oh my gosh okay so i think the smart thing to do whenever you're playing the three digit lotto is to always choose box 
because then right. no matter what wow. happens, you're going to win something. Wow. If it's your numbers. Yeah. 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 But I believe yeah. you can only do that with a three digit, not the four. But I could oh. be wrong. Not sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, this whole entire book for me was like uncovering an entire world and system that I yeah. have no knowledge about. It was, I, I, I could, just couldn't believe the systems she had to have in place just out of her home and notebooks and with her adding machine and yeah. everything. And I mean, I guess it's just like anything you learn how to do, but that's, it's, I, I can, I'm picturing her. She painted such a good picture of the yeah. adding machine and flipping through the mm-hmm. slips and, and counting yeah. and fanning out the money and facing the bills and putting the denominations in order and making sure people, the way she did a really good job at painting a picture of how her mom ran the business. Mm-hmm. People yeah, coming and going, making bets yeah. in person, people making bets over the phone, either her or some, one of her friends or husbands going out and doing things in the, you know, running around talking to people. But the idea of people just coming in and out of the house all the time and being like, hey, 321-788-955, whatever. And her just jotting everything down and doing all those calculations every day, six days a week for like 30 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's it's so amazing. It's so amazing to me. And every time... um. Wow. And then all, how people chose the numbers. Did you guys love that whole discovery of all the dreams yeah. and yeah. signs? And does your grandma do that? Yeah, I love I, that. I don't know how she picks numbers. I know that sometimes she uses um, birthdays. But, okay. Um, I mean, I don't know if she still does that. She doesn't, like, you know, she'll look at me and call me my siblings' names. And you know, <laughs> like she'll run through the whole list of people. Like, I don't know how she's remembering all her birthdays for Lotto. But, that is funny. Um, but, her head's yeah. too full of numbers yeah, to I don't know. remember all those silly grandkids. But, names. I mean, that's how I do it. When If I play Lotto mm-hmm. or if I play Kino with her, then I just pick numbers. You know, I'll be like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. 214. You know, our anniversary is 214. Yeah. Um, 748. Yeah. My birthday is 7480. You know? Yeah. So, that's... Because I don't know numbers any other way. Like, I right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got to tell you. It's like weird, right? I got to tell you. I've been, um, so I look at a numerology report. Awesome. Awesome? Yeah. No, often. That's <laughs> what oh. I was looking for. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow, Shelly. I thought you were just saying it was awesome. I look at a numerology report. Awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh I, love, I love, I love studying numbers in a way of like this is the pattern this is what the year you were born means this is what the letters of your name mean this is the type of year you're supposed to have this is what the universal year is this is what your soul number is this is the cycle you're in I love that stuff and I find it to be eerily bizarrely accurate and I love it and um I mean I would say I do almost a weekly if not every other week like I get a little like you know it's a full moon today and Mercury's still in retrograde. So here's a couple of things that's going on with the universe that you need to know about. And then some person comes on and is talking and talking about the numbers. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that today because it's a full moon. I'm going to pick a few numbers based on this thing I'm reading. And then I'm going to go pick up Angie and we're going to go play 
and I'm going to use these numbers. So I'd really thought about it. And then when we got there and it was hard to understand and that guy was kind of rude, I just lost my shit. He was like, we're holding the paper and me and Angie are kind of stoned in this grocery store and there's a line because it's 5.15. It's right right at letting off time. Everybody's buying cigarettes and me and Angie are going, how do we, where's this thing with the... Do you have pencils? How do I just tell you? And he's like, it, it's not going to work. Just tell me your numbers. Don't even try to figure it out. So and I just caved. To be, I caved. To be, oh to be fair, to be fair, when we walked in, there was nobody in there. And That's then true. suddenly there was Pressure was on. 15 people was a and line. a woman was yelling oh at her God. children. And it She's was like, all, get out, oh, get out candy. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, we're standing there going, so do you, how do we, and they're going, are you guys in line? You're going to buy that? Oh my <laughs> Leave God. Leave me alone. I'm trying to. It's a very traumatic think experience. Think of a sequence of three numbers and it's kicking oh my, my ass. <laughs> but I did it. Let me tell oh, you, Jesus. what did I end up doing? Let's see. I played 103 and 333. And I don't know where those two came from. <laughs> those were my panic answers. 103. Um, oh, you know what? That might be the beginning of my birthday, 10.30. Oh, okay. That could be it. 103, 10.30. Yeah. And then 333, I think I just really like the number three. Three's a powerful number. Oh. I think that's how I did it. Okay. okay. Look at there. Okay. I made it work. <laughs> okay. But, okay, but tell me what you loved, Chris, about all the, like, mystical books and dream books and all that stuff, because I loved all of that <laughs> so much i was horrified that when she moved she didn't take the books with her <gasps> me too i was hor- i was like how do you not take the books with you yeah you take the books with you the yeah. set of books that I want, I'm going to try to find it because I, I marked the page where she's talking about all the books. Because another thing I have, I could I probably use it a couple times a week. I think I've told you this before. But do you ever use Dream Moods Dictionary? No. So Dream Moods no. Dictionary is, I've been using for, I used to have a big, like, actual dream dictionary. Kind of like the one she described in here. I was like, oh, I wonder if that was the one I used to have. But I, I definitely had it from college. I, I don't, one of my moves, one of my 150 moves, I lost the dream book. But now it's online. You can look up Dream Moods Dictionary. So let's say you have a dream about a Brahma bull and a lake, and then your house falls over, and then you're on a bicycle, and you're like, what the hell? And you okay. can look up. Okay. If you wake up in the morning and can write down enough of those icons, you can look them up in the Dream Moods Dictionary. And it's, I have, I I mean, I have so many notes from dreams. And so that is my jam. Numerology, dream, looking all that stuff up. I love it. So when that started appearing in this book, I was way in. I was so far in. I'm like, wait a minute. This is just taking on a whole different level of meeting. Because shamefully, I think I grew up. And I don't even know where this, probably just propaganda, but I think I grew up just thinking like anybody who gambles is bad. And, mm. you know, I didn't know that many people yeah. who gambled, but the only ones I did, they were having a problem with it. They weren't just like, I gamble sometimes. They were like only gambling, right? So right. I didn't know. And I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but when little gas stations around South Carolina started getting those machines... There was just talk. There was just judgy talk about it. 
Like, oh, I see him oh, down yeah. there. I see him down there playing those machines. It was like people were judging it's people for playing game. it. It was a devil's game, you yeah. know? And then, yeah. yeah, I didn't know. And now I'm thinking, like, it's none of your fucking business. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, what's funny. What's, <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry, but, but I feel like, you know. But it, what's funny is that, like, yeah. the people that are like, oh, you're you're bad if you're gambling mm-hmm. and whatever, they're the same people that are at bingo night on you know, oh, at, for at the sure. church. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so, <laughs> And it just made me realize like, okay, so one of the things that, um, that I wanted to talk about with cannabis was, um, the parallel of the underground industry coming into the mainstream and how over, you know, yes. a few decades, people are getting slowly but surely screwed on one part and then other people who used to be doing the screwing are all of a sudden like, oh, this is big business. We want to get into it now. And now we want to create marketing around it. Now we want to say that it's for the schools. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. We've been talking about this yeah. for so long. And it just, it's maddening. It's maddening. And so Angie was cracking up because I was flipping through my book and there's a page that at the top of it, I wrote grr, like G-R-R-R. <laughs> and I think it was the um, the hotel raid in Detroit. Do you remember that story? John White bought the yeah. hotel. The yep. hotel became a hub of basically yep. black Detroit culture. It was this amazing, beautiful place where stars went. And um, and the only reason he got away with buying it is because he passed for white. Yep. Yep. And it was just, as soon as I started reading this story, my blood started boiling a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, I know it's about to happen and I can't even stand it. You know, I can't even like, basically they're not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. They're right. doing a thing. The thing they're doing is fine. But they're not, it's not, it's not just that they weren't hurting anybody. They were helping their oh, own yeah. people too. Oh and, yeah. Which is even more frustrating. Like, you know, it'd, it'd be one thing if it wasn't, you know, if they were just doing whatever and you know, whatever, but they were actually trying to, they were not trying, they were contributing to their communities and, you know, giving people jobs and making things better and putting more money back into their economy. And then they got raided and torn apart. So the story, I, I don't know if I ever knew this part of Detroit history. I may have heard it once or twice before, but to read it in this way, um, what, um, the writer, what Bridget does is she tells the story of Detroit's Hotel Gotham, which was internationally famous. And um, it was John White bought it in 1943, and it was the place for African-American travelers denied accommodations in other hotels. And he was John White was a black man who could pass for white, which helped him p- purchase it. And he was the numbers man. Right, and it was uh, on the corner of John R. and what's that? Hey, Kyle. Sorry, guys. I, no, I got I to check out for a minute. Hold on. Okay, okay. So Detroit's um, Gotham Hotel was raided um, in, da, 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 I think it was 1940, no, 1951, 1951, I think. By the time of the Gotham Raid, the hotel was already targeted under eminent domain laws to make room for a medical center as part of the city's urban renewal plan. So uh, this man, 
is providing a cultural center in Detroit. He's employing um, mostly black people from Detroit. He's running a business out of there. Um, it's a cultural hub, and it gets literally SWAT team style smashed in. And fr- the records show that the all the people who raided drank all the liquor and ate all the food and destroyed all the rooms and bashed everything in and just destroyed everything. And even though they didn't even find like an exact transaction going on, they found enough to bust and arrest and accuse. And when I read that, the reason why I wrote Gur on it, because it, it, it was such a direct correlation in my mind to my friends who've been busted for cannabis. Like mm-hmm. I have a friend in the West side of the state who had a grow that in every way possible was as legal as he could make it based on the current laws, which changed constantly. This was several years ago. He had a grow yeah. in his basement and suddenly like while he's in the shower and his 10 year old daughter is walking down the hall and they bust in and start taking his sousaphone and his car and his, I mean, they're just raiding him for growing plants you know, yeah, and right. are literally traumatizing his daughter mm-hmm. and taking his belongings. And he had to spend thousands and thousands of lawsuits. And now there's dispensaries in that area, yeah. you know, and yeah. everybody's like, oh, that seems like a good business. I'm going to get on that. And I just, so when I was reading this, it, it was so, it was such a call. It was such a, oh my God, we're going through this right now where the people who've been growing this whole time, um, there's people that I know that got a felony for growing. So now they're not allowed to be on a license mm-hmm. and they have to have someone that right. used to not believe in any of it on a license with them because yeah, they're allowed exactly. to, yeah. because they're legal and it's just freaking maddening. Mm-hmm. So watching that same pattern happen, I feel like the pattern here is a cottage industry springs up in a community, goes all over the country, and it's a way for people to make some money that doesn't have to... They can help out their community and bring themselves up. Um, then <laughs> the ruling class tries to smash and demonize that business and then makes laws that are hard to follow and that kind of there's no way out. There's no way out. You There's no way to do it the right way until they start doing it until they create their system Mm -hmm. that they promote and do commercials about and And, put on tv and tax and tax and it's just infuriating to me it's infuriating Mm -hmm. yeah so um not to mention all the probably hundreds of thousands of people who are in prison for selling weed oh my gosh Um, oh my gosh and who have pulled over for some bullshit weeds in their car oh yeah I'm predominantly I'm sure those people are predominantly black I know there's white people who are in prison too but for the most part it's like the easiest thing oh I pulled you over there's something there with your car oh look you have pot in your car and then that's it it's infuriating or walking down the street it's it's crazy to me that there are people in prison right now for pot charges, 
Yeah. Well, I got to tell <laughs> you. While we're legalizing it. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, um, one of the things, if you listen to Jazz Cabbage Cafe, <laughs> that like Gretchen Whitmer is taking significant steps. And so far, she she's the new governor of Michigan, who is so way different than our past governor. It's, it's kind yeah. of shocking. Yeah. So um, she's taking definite significant steps to to right wrongs at this moment. And um, Jeff Irwin is in that camp of, you know, criminal justice reform. And, oh, it takes so long. But it's like, yeah, it's infuriating. So when I was reading this, it was um, it was bringing me to that as well. So yeah. Uh, so I just found the book, the, the thing I wanted to tell you guys about. The name of the book that I want is called... Um, Wait, no. It's a set of books called uh, da, 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 Man, Myth, and Magic, an, illust- an Illustrated Encyclopedia of the Supernatural. This 24-volume co- collection published in 1970 covered every possible topic. Exorcism, Indian snake charmers, hypnosis, tarot, demonology, UFOs, zombies, paganism, telekinesis. Like, what? <laughs> I want that. It sounds so cool. Yeah, I saw that. yeah. That sounds amazing. And when um when she's talking about all the different things her mother would um put the money in the freezer to like mm-hmm. let the let it cool off. Yeah. And she would I loved all of that. I know. Yeah, that was fabulous. Yeah. Burning getting things. too hot. Getting too hot. Yes. Yes, and I started thinking, yeah. I don't have enough rituals. Like, I have some rituals, <laughs> but, like, she, you know, burning the candles, having the candles burning, and... Um, yeah. I need more rituals. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I need more rituals. I need more rituals. I need more rituals. Let's take a break real quick. Chris, uh, we don't have to leave the room or anything, but, Chris, I just want to tell you that Angie and I both... um uh, I was doing this recruiting job before I started working at Above the Tree Line and then went since I left. I am back doing the recruiting job and I got Angie a job at that place too. And so now what we do all day <laughs> is we kind of text back and forth and make fun of either people's names or how dumb they are on the phone. And um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Angie. Um, I uh, I like to say my favorite name of the day and um yesterday <laughs> it was uh <laughs> wait a minute it was like seven syllables right and they all started with c it was that like was a, carlos it was, it was a name yeah. con con barcos <laughs> caucasian like claudius? claudius con marcos anyway i'm like look at this oh my gosh this is the greatest name ever and then i talked to him and he was so super nice and so um hold on let me see if i can find it and then angie really one up to me what was it um please say it jupiter bongwong <laughs> jupiter bongwong that's nice. his name jupiter isn't that the greatest what and he also name. seems like a great guy that's the thing is um i can't Here it find is. here's your name from yesterday what is it claudius kramer von klosbruch Claudius Kramer von Klosbrook. But it's, yeah, it's got to be Brooke, right? Because it's German. Yeah. parents, what were they thinking? Well, he's German. I know. He's German. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It was, but, but anyway, so 
Um, the other thing that happened today was every time I saw the last name Salazar, I, all I could think of was Salad Bar. And I'd be like, Mr. Salad Bar, we, we, I'm sorry, we need to have a quick meeting with Mr. Bong Wong and Mr. Salad Bar. Okay. Oh, oh, I'm nervous. I have to go in and meet Mr. Bong Wong and Mr. Salad Bar. So, and then another fun thing to do is, you know, where you could do like Todd, Todd, Bobad, Banana, Fan, Bobad. That's really fun with both the names Jupiter and the name Bong Wong. <laughs> Chris, just for an experiment, oh. I'm going to let you try real quick just to do that little thing with the word Bong Wong and see how far you get before you get tongue tied. You ready? Bong Wong. You're failing so hard. Bong wong, bong wong, bo bong wong, banana fan of fo bong wong, me, my, mo bong wong, bong wong, Jupiter, Jupiter, bo boopiter, me, my, mo moviter. That's what I did today. So that's what we do when we're not helping eager applicants find the job of their dreams. Oh my God. One guy, we have this other friend, Jen, who's awesome, and she sent us um, a guy who says, <laughs> there's this questionnaire we send them, and it says, what is your attitude towards work? And he's trying to say, <laughs> what he's oh trying God. to say is his answer is, um, I like to do things right the first time, so I don't have to go back and fix it later, but it's all fucked up. <laughs> It's what misspelled and there's not a period at the end. Oh my god. So his answer was like, I like to do things right the first time, so I don't have to fix it later. But like right was misspelled and it was an extra I said, space. I said sup instead of so sup. I. I said sup. Yeah. Sup. Yeah. So that's what we do. That's what we get paid the bit the big bucks. The big bucks. It's actually really fun. It is. Yeah. No, it's a great it's job. Fun. I love Recruiting it. is fun because people are kind of on their best behavior and they're eager. Some Unless they're a dick. No, no. <laughs> I got a dick on the phone. <laughs> I, I got a literal dick on the phone yesterday. You're like, how are you even holding the yeah, phone how are since you? you're just a dick? <laughs> you're a giant dick, sir. Who's holding the phone for you? Yeah. No. Like... Here's Where the thing. You, you know your job searching, right? Like yeah. you actively put your resume out there and then yep. if the phone rings and it's a number you don't recognize and you answer the phone with saying, stop calling my phone. <laughs> right. What? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and then he said it again and I was like, well, wait a minute. You applied for a job with my company. Yeah. And then he must have felt stupid and he hung up the phone. Yeah. So I emailed him and I was like. Oh, yeah. It's so um, common. I was it's like, so hey. Common. Guess what, guy? I was going to hire you for a job, but now I'm not. So, <laughs> good luck. Are you going like, is this Eric? Yeah. Eric Sparks? Yeah, who's this? Yeah. Like, Those are good. It's the company you applied to, yeah. asshole. Yeah. Trying to check out your phone voice. That's who it is. Yeah. Guess what? You're yeah. failing. You <laughs> You're failing. Oh, sometimes wah, wah. sometimes they go, oh, yeah, sorry, I've just been getting a lot of spam calls. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let me teach you something right now. <laughs> that was dumb. There you go. There's your lesson. Um, <laughs> that one was free. Sorry. That one was free. Here's your next lesson. 
change your email. Your email address shouldn't be like PorkyPig69. Yeah. <laughs> Red Hot Mama 420. No. Double oh stuff triple X. 69 at Yahoo. You're not getting a job today. Smokes a lot of dope.com. Yeah. Some jobs. Right. Some Anyways. jobs. Anyway, so there was a commercial break. Um, <laughs> and we're back. Um, so this was another thing that is uh, was a parallel to cannabis and the, the sort of the underground cottage industry then becoming demonized in the media, then the propaganda changing once it became federally and state legalized and promoted um, is just realizing the power of propaganda to demonize and or champion something. So um, I'm on page 168. Two months before the vote, the Detroit Free Press ran a three-day series on the numbers, its front-page headlines capturing the accepted narrative of what the numbers was. Numbers runners sell dreams to poor. The syndicate dishonesty replaced golden era of numbers and numbers today, a tough job. So those were the three articles. What they're trying to do is make illegal numbers running look bad leading up to the election where they would legalize the lottery. So they're doing the exact same thing, state-sponsored, but first they need to demonize the people who've been doing it, the exact same thing, for the last 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, and and they did that, too, by, um, you know, the... um, the, it says the writer went on to patronizingly make a claim that no, uh, with no statistical basis, saying that uh, most of the people who play numbers are black. It's always been that way. It started in the ghetto and is still there. So then they, you know, they tried to really, oh yeah, you know, kind of put that fear yeah. into people, um, you know, because there was a lot of white people. Um, in Detroit that were worried about blacks taking over their neighborhoods anyways. Oh, my God. Which was where the redlining came from. And now they're saying, you know, well, well, this you shouldn't be playing this game anyways because that's only for, you know, the blacks in the ghetto. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's gross. It's so frustrating. So the redlining was actually written into the FHA law. It was, oh my God. It was policy. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a cultural outcry it was policy it was how things were actually that was the law yeah um that's just a common myth that people people have they think that like if the whites and of course the whites were freaking out um but it, it wasn't one before the other it was literally the fha uh. um, wrote it into the law and then the banks um of course were behind it they wouldn't give loans either so yeah. Well, you know, it's the frustrating parallel, the frustrating parallel with cannabis is, um, I have a really good friend that runs a dispensary in Ann Arbor, very nice place, beautiful place. They follow the laws closely as they can, even though it's changing constantly. And I think Colorado is probably still like this too. Um, you can't bank anywhere. Yeah. You can't bank anywhere. So the laws are made so that. You're trying to pay taxes, but they won't accept cash. And you're trying to run a legit business, but they won't let you set up a bank account. It's like, and 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 then they're penalizing you for um, this woman I was coaching a few years back was trying so hard. She was like, 
Fanny Davis, you know, she's trying so hard to follow the law and it, every crazy right. thing they were doing in cannabis. She was just like, it's okay. We can do it this way. It's okay. We'll just have to do it that way. We'll have to find a way to do this. We'll have to rename that. Right. Because you can't go into a right. bank and open an account under like weedstore.com. Right. You have to be called, um, bloom confections or something, you know, like you have to pretend it doesn't work. Right. And yeah. banks even. Right. I met with a couple of banks in my networking group and said, what can you do? Can you help my friends? They've been kicked out of seven banks, you know, in the local area. And they're like, we want to, but federally they've built the law so that it's cost pro like you would have to have four people basically standing guard at that bank if they right. had one cannabis account. I mean, it's freaking crazy. So they built, it, it was such a reveal to me of how, I guess there's always a layer of that being revealed to me, but this layer, the way she revealed it and how it affected her mother and her family was driving me crazy. Yeah. Just well, and to go back to the book there, um, and, and talking about banking, um, remember there is a spot. Hold on a second. Baking or banking? Banking. Okay. I'm, I'm baked. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she was, uh, she was talking about how her mom, um, would only go to the bank and use a specific teller. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Because she never asked questions and she didn't give any problems. And, God, don't you, know, you love that person? kind of like, you know. Yeah. Willing, willing to kind of take one for the team. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. well, plus back then there was more cash. Like I grew up where checks and credit cards just yeah. weren't that common mm-hmm. of a thing. They just yeah. weren't. So, I think so, my parents had one. Yeah, yeah. Fannie well, Mae yeah. had like ten. Yeah, she loved them. Like she had a she boatload of credit cards. Yeah, I remember not understanding checks when I was younger. I still don't write understand a check. Checks. <laughs> I don't understand anything. <laughs> Nobody prepared me well enough for being an adult. Yeah. Which is why I'm on a podcast <laughs> stone talking about a book I read. No, I know, this, this, is, this is kind of a tangent, but I just listened to you rant a little bit about like all the hoops. I mean, it's kind of a tangent, but in terms of like human rights, I see the same thing when people talk about homelessness. Like, oh my God, they just passed a law here in San Diego that they, people can ha- sleep in their cars, which if you're, if you're homeless and you have a car, you have a friend who has a car that's going to let you sleep in it. It's a really big fucking deal. Yes. And I, I personally think it's great. I know the complications that come from it, um, but those complications of people being out on the street and not having a bathroom are there anyway. It's just, it's fascinating to me when I listen to people talk about people. They're so afraid now that people are in their cars asleep in their neighborhoods. But before they weren't afraid that there were just homeless people around. Oh, it's It's so weird. It's so fascinating to me. Anytime groups that are the other, um, you know, start to have a little bit of, of, power a little bit of shelter or something of their own something of their own to say this is mine I have this this is mine and you know then it's like that turns like the power structure over on its head it's like it's fine it's fine for everybody in San Diego to know that we've they've got like I think they served 360,000 meals to people not just homeless but 
um, people who just needed meals mm-hmm. in, in the month of February, 350,000 mm-hmm. meals yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, for, for any pop part of that population, if they didn't have a roof over their head, for them to have a roof over their head um, and take on the responsibility of having a car, I mean, to me, that's progress. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Right? And yeah. they had to jump through. To have a car, you have to jump through all the hoops. And, and, you know, for, for the city to go, you know what, let's, let's not ticket these people and make them turn them into criminals simply because they have a a car and not a home. Oh Um, yeah. It's just fascinating to me how, um, it's so easy to, you know, point the finger and target people who have nothing or that you are also like marginalizing um, as a society, for example, People cannot afford to have housing. They cannot afford it. It is mm-hmm. too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- because there are some people that literally have nothing. And then you're, you know, to, to, to work in the shelter system, you've got to know all the shelter hours. You've got to know all the shelter rules. You've got to get from one shelter to the other. I mean, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. to be homeless and poor and on the street. It's a lot of work. Um, is a ton of work and yeah. you have to be organized and you have to know what you're doing and you have to fight for yourself. And that's to try to do it in an above board kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I do think it's incredible that Fanny, she, you know, in some ways I feel, I feel like she must've been a little bit of a Capricorn because she, but she, she had, she had to have some other much lighter nature parts of her Mm-hmm. So too, but she, I feel like she, even getting into the numbers, she kind of sat back and watched it for a minute and studied it and carefully decided that that's what she was going to do. She was going to give it a try. Mm-hmm. I also feel like she was very smart in how she, all, she had her partner people that she worked with and they all had each other's back. It wasn't like she was out there being a lone wolf, um, you know, oh, and yeah. also she never, she never took it. She never took it to the next level. She never, she never, it seems like from the way the story was told, she, she knew what, she knew the level of the business that worked for her and she kept it at that. She didn't try to go crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was very humble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was a great combination of like, um, we're going to have great clothes and we're going to have great food and we're going to give a lot of stuff away, but we don't need to be like driving a shiny Cadillac down the street mm-hmm. to draw attention to ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. so I want to, we, we've been talking about the law. We've been talking about the numbers. We've been talking about all of that. And the thing I don't want to overlook is all the relationships because it's so big and it's what makes this whole story yeah. because really this story goes from like 1930 to 2008 or something like that and we see an entire life we see kids born and die we see parents and grandparents born and die we see people move houses and buy houses and grow businesses and become teenagers and share meals and her her father dies and there's so much heart in there too, in the middle of watching all of Detroit history happen during that time and watching kind of the middle class come up and Detroit start to change and the riots happen and the music changes and throughout all of that storytelling, there's um, Bridget and Fanny 
and the sisters and the cousins and the people that they're taking care of and her daddy. And so I want to talk yeah. a little bit about just the sweetness of the relationships and how she painted such a, a good picture. Um, would you guys agree that what made the yeah, book so good did. was like the yeah. sweetness of the relationship? Yeah, she loved her dad um, so much and she she loved her mom. Um, she didn't want to get on their bad side and just, yeah, really sweet. Yeah. She painted a great picture of like, she was a daddy's girl. She was a daddy's girl. Like her mom was a strong example of like, oh my gosh, there's a great quote about men. Do you remember this? I freaking loved it. I'm going to look it up. Um, but her mom was this like wise woman example who was like just doing her thing. But her dad, she yeah. was a daddy's girl, you know, for sure. She slept on her daddy's back and they watched TV and they played Chinese checkers and, you know, it was, that yeah. was her thing. And she grew up kind of, kind of with an understanding that she was a little spoiled, that she, you know, got whatever she wanted and she wrote in her diary about it. Um, yeah. But she got, she was so obviously loved by her daddy and her mom, but her dad was like a doting sweetheart daddy. And her mom was like a, I'm going to give you everything so that you can fly type of mom. Yeah. And, um, it was pretty, pretty wonderful. Um, yeah. Oh shoot. I really want to find this. You guys keep talking about the relationships, your favorite relationships and tragic things and all that. And I'm going to try to find this quote. Go. Well, I was going to add that, um, you know, she, she also like opens up her house to other people and, um, takes care of people. And like they're, when they lived on the broad street house, I think, um, they had a girl whose parents would fight or something, if I remember correctly. And so she would yeah. come over and tell Fanny her problems and Fanny would listen and feed her a meal. And she always had her food, a fridge full of food for people. Um, and then when she moved to the other place, um, that was gross points or near gross, something Southfield maybe um, on the border of Southfield near eight mile. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on seven mile when she was on seven mile. Um, so she, and she let those people move in upstairs who bought the broad street house. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, she just seemed like, you know, I, it's like, what a miracle to come across Fanny Davis. I mean, gosh, I to be taken in by Fanny Davis, what an amazing thing. Um, and she just seemed like um, she was such a good-natured person, like, generally all around, mm-hmm. um, which was obviously rubbed off on her children. Mm-hmm. And everyone who knew her. Yeah. However, um, tragedy. There's a lot of tragedy. Um, I mean, three of her children were lost. Yeah, that's true. It was tragic. Yeah. You know, there was, throughout this heartfelt, wonderful story, where she's doing all this work, there's... Um, a son who's addicted to heroin who got shot. There's um, a da- two daughters who died in their, I think, early 30s, maybe. Um, 
And they both, uh, John T. and Fanny, died relatively young. Yeah. And so it, I did cry, and I did feel like she got to tell the entire arc of her story about her loss and everything. Um, yeah. And just kind of how she had such a realization, you can tell even by her young diaries, that she was aware that her mom was strong and amazing and, you know, knowing all kinds of people and treating people the right way and standing up for herself in stores and standing up for herself in restaurants, just being herself, you know. But she was getting it. She was getting it. But also... Um, because her mother was that woman, she, she was so motivated to make her mother proud. She, so Bridget ended up, um, you know, doing very well in school and then being super duper involved in high school and always having high school activities. And then assuming she would go to Spelman and going to Spelman and then going to graduate school at Columbia and her mother supporting her the whole way. And she had jobs and she did things, but and she helped out with the business every once in a while, but it wasn't her thing. And she never thought about taking it over. It ended up getting taken over by her sister, right? By Bridget's sister, right? right? So it got taken over by her sister for uh, there at the end. Um, but it was really kind of heartbreaking right there at the end when she was like, I didn't know who to be as a person when I wasn't daddy's girl and I wasn't making my mama proud of me. You know, like suddenly, and it's amazing because this book that came out of that need to tell the story, um, is so good and there's no, um, ah, so I think I found what you might've been talking about with the, with, when she was giving advice. Oh, yes, please. Um, so she she says that she'd use the worn out phrase, why would a man buy the cow if he can get the milk for free? Um, and add, yeah. she add that um, gals gapping, gals gapping open their legs um, are loose and too easy and never get a man's respect. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Number one, anytime the king of England could give up his throne for a woman, don't ever let a man tell you he can't do for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then yes. she says, pick a man up out of the gutter and clean him up. Every time he looks at you, you'll remind him of that gutter. And then you don't need mm-hmm. to change for a man because if he loves you, he'll love whatever you're into. And it's just, it's at on page 205. And it's right after they've had the conversation where she was saying her mother never directly says, here's what puberty's going to be like, mm-hmm. or here's what sex is right. going to be like. She right. kind of just is like... I figure if they're old enough to be talking about it, they're old enough to be prepared for it or something like that. And that was when Bridget said, okay, I guess I'm going to Planned Parenthood, you know, guess I'm going to take care of that. And, um, yeah, which is kind of like your, your philosophy, Chris, (laughs) your parenting philosophy. What? (laughs) You've told me before. You've told me before that your parenting philosophy is just don't get someone pregnant. (laughs) pretty much (laughs) that's pretty much been my parents I think Chris Rock was you know keep your daughter off the pole mine was was just don't get anybody pregnant I mean no no pregnancies I'm trying to keep my boys off the pole too but (laughs) I mean (laughs) my bad whatever 
Let's have an equal equal opportunity poll poll discrimination. Okay. So um oh my gosh, I feel like I could talk about this all day. I love I loved learning about why people play numbers. I love learning about the way they're calculated, the way the payout works, the way she tells Detroit history. Whew, so much, so much. Yeah. But um we're coming up. We've got just, you know, not too much time left. So anything else you're dying to talk about about the witchiness of things or about the way she describes Detroit or households or gambling or culture or how Oh, I just think it's a tragedy that the house isn't there anymore. And me too. Um, you know, that just breaks my heart. Yeah. It's too bad. Yeah. 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 That would be amazing. I think one of the things that Angie and I can appreciate um, that's so wonderful is she names so many things, mm-hmm. so many Detroit things. She goes to the Fisher cool. Theater and she names, you know, she's in Southfield and she's on Seven Mile and she's on Broad Street and she's, you know, Diana Ross is a neighbor and she's in Motown right. and um, people working at the, you know, the car, the the factories and the, the plants, the auto plants. And it's so familiar it's yeah. just so the story yeah. of here. Yeah. It's just the story I, is all around us. I found myself wanting to, um, you know, like look it up on a map, like where, you know, different places where she was talking yeah. about just to kind of see how far in reference it is to my house. Yeah. But I knew I'd get sidetracked and not finish reading the books. So right. I, so I didn't, I didn't do that. Yeah, but I I still I I really think we should do a go on a field trip and you know try to just pinpoint some of the places and you know even even though the house still isn't there there's still a lot there and I want to kind of see that area and well some of the malls that she goes to are still there yeah some of the shopping places well and and right around the time that she's talking about you know the advice that her mother gave her um they were in Olga's yes um, i know which i love love um, Olga's, but she knew olga yeah yeah she knew the original olga yeah. which i was like what there was an olga right now olga's big yeah so yeah, you know yeah. things like that were were really fun and interesting oh chris i know one thing i was going to bring up to you did you notice okay this show uh when i went to san diego and we tried we read a book called the grift because it was based in san diego and um the Grift was a book about um, a woman who kind of grows up pretending to be a psychic, and it just works for her, becomes her career, and because um, everybody believes that she's she can read body language, all this stuff, and then suddenly she becomes a psychic, and it freaks her out, and all the characters, it's very tight, basically, like there's six or seven people that she meet this party, and she reads their fortunes, and then they all start coming to her, and their lives are intertwined. And things get crazy, and then at the end, she has a baby. Um, anyway, <laughs> I really okay. wrapped it up. It was a pretty good book. It was a pretty good book. Um, and the woman is a San Diego and San Diego writer. And so uh, the next day, Chris and I are going um, up to L.A. to see her friend, and we kept hearing things from the yeah. book, remember? People would say the things whole, like – totally played out. It was weird. No, like, we- we, yeah, we we walked up. There was um, there was a fortune teller. And then we walked up, and then there we were buying jewelry, and the the story centers on a ring. Oh I love yes, that um, 
Oh yes, that so yeah. much. We kept looking at each yeah. other like, "Oh my God, this is weird." Yeah. Somebody said the word "grift." I think Ruby said "grift." Ruby said That's "grift," which was Ruby the name of the grift. book. A guy read. A guy grabbed yes. our hands and kind of read our fortune. I don't even we know what the word "grift" rings. means. It means kind of like we're running a scam. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, scamming. Yeah. yeah, you're you're scamming. Yeah. Um. And so, did you notice the little callbacks within this book from our book club? Um, possibly. Like what? She mentioned Call of the Wild. She mentioned oh, wow. Sydney Poitier, one of the Sydney Poitier um, movies that we talked about. She mentioned a okay. song that we've played <laughs> as our intro. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like she mentioned wow. another author because remember she was into like laying in her bed and reading and her friends turning her on to different yeah. books and things like that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so when I found that, I was like, ooh, I should go play the numbers, but I don't know how to correlate it <laughs> <laughs> to, to this being cool. <laughs> we probably, like... Fuck. If you would have told me that that was the plan, I would have called my grandma. And she should have been on yeah, here. Yeah, she could have. She should have been she on here. Really to be like our yeah, expert witness. Yeah, yeah. Our expert witness. Well, we can have her on another time and just take a break, and she can tell us how it works. All right. She can just be on, and it she can would have nothing to do with just anything. Just be thrilled. Oh, my gosh. Where is she? Is she close enough where mm. she could come? No, she's out by Flint. Oh, okay. Make a day of it. Yeah. Bring her out. <laughs> Bring her out. Make it a day. <laughs> Um, she might, the casino's not far. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So all in all, I would say this book, the world, according to Fanny Davis, my mother's life in the Detroit numbers by Bridget M. Davis was just 13 out of 10. So worth it. A 13 out of 10. It had heart. It was a history lesson. It taught me all about the numbers. It was powerful without being preachy. It was sweet. It was about a family. It was about tragedy. It was about, time and place and uh memories and i'd give it a five out of five bong hits yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh why yeah. haven't we been doing that i got all the i got all the good stuff up oh here oh my gosh yeah. i can't believe do you, do, do you recognize that logo angie yeah angie's sweetheart made that logo my, my man reads and weeds um, and then he slowly quit coming and she took his place. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what if I, what if I told you I was him? I, just, yeah. I'm a shapeshifter. Nope. Nope. I don't okay. buy it. Um, yeah, no, he's at home. He stoned. just doesn't do, I'm sure. Yeah. He does not have a butterfly tattoo on his chest either. No. Um, I feel like he's just not a butterfly too on Nuh-uh. butterfly too. I don't know. <laughs> he's i'm Whoa, missing a dude. syllable hey what is going on with your hey listen retrieval butterfly tattoo see i know what i was trying to say <laughs> okay. and then i found it <laughs> so everybody just pump the brakes pump okay <laughs> everybody pump the brakes oh my god okay does um, that happen when you have too much cbd or too much uh weed food or what um did it happen twice on this show at least yeah Ooh. Um, I think sometimes I just talk really fast, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about just it. Keeping a dementia check. Good, good. <laughs> good. 
Good. Write up your report. File it away with all the other strange notes you've been keeping throughout my life. <laughs> yeah, right. You freak. Oh Kyle, get the Shelley file. We've got to add a little bit about dementia. Always, um, always. Yeah. Hey, you can come on through. There's a guy politely huddling there in the back. Um, hey, Todd, I think we're about to wrap up. So I think what's queued up is that Martha and the Vandellas song. Bowler. Um, what's that? Bowler. That doesn't sound familiar. Mm-mm. It's a. It's, it's on, right there. It is. It's right there. Well, so as we're we're gonna, do, we're gonna do something differently. We're. Uh, what are we doing? We're gonna move it. I'm. Just give me one second. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I think I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Selling your books are, uh, you can get the whole collection. What do you mean? Uh, oh, are you looking up those books? books? <gasps> oh, that fancy really? encyclopedia. Oh, yes. $341. That's a steal. Set. I want it on audio. <laughs> Legit. I want someone to read those encyclopedias to me. (laughs) I know. I just thought it would be a ridiculous idea. But is it a picture book? Because that's different. This book had pictures too, but it's it's not a picture. picture. Woo! Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, whoa. That was so loud all of a sudden. (laughs) We want to ease into it, Todd. Yeah. We want to bring it up slow. You gotta romance it. Ooh, ooh, but it's okay. Ellen's got my back. The person who um, edits the podcast, she was at the same audition I was at last night, and it was very fun. Radical. So, Chris, Chris, the um, I think I told you this, but I didn't get the I didn't get the musical improv thing that I auditioned for. Yeah. But then I went and I got headshots made, and I liked them, and I made a theater resume, and I went to another audition that was just kind of for like a program that you get into. And I got that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. It's just kind of like getting, it's like auditioning for a school. You know what I mean? Like you audition for a little school that's six months of whatever. And whatever. um, Right. Yeah. So it was the exact same audition thing. You make up a song, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. Yeah. You just start singing. My song was about, they're like, okay, give Shelly a character. Okay. Shelly's character is she's a veteran. Um, from Desert Storm, and uh, the object is Coca-Cola. So that was my, and so they said, you start a monologue, and then we start playing the music, you have to start singing. So that's how it works. So I started talking about how when I was over there, my memory is of missing my kids, and I missed the little things like going through the drive through And then he started playing the music, and I sang this like sad lament about missing all the little times with my kids while I was in the desert. That was my audition. <laughs> it was pretty sad. There was nothing funny about my song, but it was fine. And then the other awesome. one was about being an angry teen in a cell phone store. That was my next song about oh, being spoiled. Yeah. yeah, and wanting a pony and stuff like that. So it was good. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so that was episode 11. Episode 10 was the mystery unrecorded that only me, Chris, and Kyle will ever know about. Um, sure. This was our, this was our 11th. <laughs> and I'm so happy. Thanks, Angie. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was thanks, awesome. Thanks, Todd. And uh, yeah, go ahead and bring back Martha and the Vandellas. And we are out. Thanks so much. Bye.